we're going to do something different this month on the Exponential Groups podcast. We've never done this before, and we may never do this again. We're going to air the five-part small group restart on the podcast. You'll receive a new episode every day for the next five days in a row starting today. I want you to have the tools and strategies that are working during this crazy season of ministry. The world has changed. The church has changed. I want you to have what's working at your disposal and to just encourage you in the fact that things, well, are actually working. So if you subscribe to this podcast already, you will automatically receive a new episode every day this week. And if you'd rather watch the uh, videos of the small group restart, you can just go to alanwhite.org forward slash restart, and you can also get the show notes over there. Now, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage, silence your cell phone, and let's get started with part one of the small group restart. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, and welcome to the 2022 Small Group Restart. I am so glad that you have joined me. Now, to get the full experience of this Small Group Restart, I would encourage you to join the Facebook group. You can just go over to Facebook and search small group restart or go to Facebook slash group slash small group restart. We have about 150 people already in this community. And this is a place where at the end of every day, I'm going to give you an assignment. And so you'll go on there. You can respond to the assignment. Um, you can interact with other people in the group. So I would encourage you to make this a part and you can pause the video and go ahead and do this right now uh, would be awesome. Uh, but but please make this a part of what um, what you're doing. All right, let's talk about our current situation because, boy, going into 2022, uh, things are sure a lot different than they were just a few years ago. You know, the last two years have been unlike anything that we have ever experienced in our history. And I mean, without a doubt. And so how do we do ministry? How do we move forward? Well, you see, the world has changed. The culture has changed. The church has changed. And because of that, we have to think about what we're going to do now and not what we're going to do in the church that we you know, served two years ago, because that church isn't coming back. This is what we have. And so we need to take what we have and we need to move forward. What's new is not normal. And it's thrown a lot of us off. I mean, people want to quit. People want to you know, rethink what they're doing. Um, it's hard. It is so hard um, because we kind of had it down. I mean, maybe not totally, maybe we weren't perfect, but we knew what was going to work and what was going to help people. And now everything has changed. And so we've got to be in a mode of learning and trying new things and moving forward. You know, church is now in person and online. You know, it used to be when I talked to a pastor, I would ask him, you know, what is your um, adult worship attendance? That was a very typical question to see, you know, how many groups they had relative to the number of people that were in worship. Then, you know, we got into 2020, the pandemic, and I would ask pastors, well, what was your pre-COVID worship attendance, right? 
I don't ask that anymore because we're not going back there. So now I ask, what is your in-person attendance and what is your online attendance? Because we all have an in-person congregation and an online congregation. We have an in-person campus. We have an online campus. And this is the way that things have shaken out. And this is the way things are going to be going forward. The church is now digital and analog. So it's analog in that I can go to church on Sunday, like I do, and sit in the row next to my dad, and we can worship in person and sing with other people around us and listen to the sermon. And I could attend a small group in person. I could attend a class in person. That's the analog part. But it's also digital. Because once the pandemic hit, Nona Jones pointed out that ministry switched to being 168 hours a week. So anytime in, during the day, during the night, people could participate if we gave them the opportunity to. So what that means is not just for the people who are worshiping online, but for everybody. That if I only offer my next step class at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, once a month, there are some people that are never going to be able <coughs> to make it at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, once a month. So what do you do? You take that class. You'd rather have them there in person. You'd rather look them in the eye. You'd rather shake their hand. But you take that class and you put it online. And then whether it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the morning and any day of the week, somebody could take watch that next step class and take their next step. And this could be done with any of the things that you're currently doing in an analog fashion. You could go ahead and do it digitally as well. In our world today, things are digital and they have been for a while, but digital, I, I mean, could you imagine going through the pandemic if we didn't have the internet, if we didn't have some of the conveniences that we have right now, if we didn't have apps on a phone, I mean, how, what would we have done? We would have sat around and read a book, which would not have been so bad, would it? But um, everything is digital. Everything is on demand. I don't need to wait around. Everything is on demand. I can find what I want to watch when I want to watch it, and I just click on it and go. And you look at the number of streaming services that boomed during the pandemic because people had time on their hands and they could watch anything they wanted anytime. The world, in some ways, is convenient um, in that I'm looking for a convenience. I'm looking for I can put what I the items that I want into an app, and then I can drive to a store, and they will bring it to my car. And I don't even have to go in the store, which is not so bad. Things are also delivered. I can do the same thing and have groceries delivered to my house. And I can have meals delivered to my house from a restaurant. And I could have meal kits delivered to my house. And of course, Amazon's been delivering forever. But there are so many ways that I don't have to go. I don't have to go to a shopping mall and fight the crowd and look around because I can just find it online. Some of us have been doing this for a while. But this is where the world has moved. And some of the things where you say, well, okay, maybe I don't have to worry about, you know, going into a store and, you know, somebody coughing on me or something. But now it's just easier to drive in, pick up what you need because they, they deliver it to your car or they deliver it to your house. This is the world that we live in. This is the mindset that we're in right now. I mean, what we experienced with COVID was truly horrible. And some of us lost some very dear people. But the other thing that happened with COVID was that it sped up 
a lot of things. And so a lot of these things that some people were dabbling in that maybe were kind of a novelty, it sped all of that up. So it's almost like we got 10 years and two years. Um, so we need to keep that in mind because it's not going to snap back. In person, anything people do in person now is careful and selective. It's careful and selective. So not everybody's come back to church. Some of them are watching online because they're being, they're careful and selective about where they participate and how they participate. And so we need to offer them something in a way that they will participate if we want them in person. But we also need to think about online is not so bad. It's not the same, but it's not so bad. People have given up a lot of things. You know, when the pandemic hit, we, we gave up everything. Kids quit going to school. Adults quit going to work. Uh, we quit all of our extracurricular activities. We stopped eating in restaurants. We no longer had a morning commute or an evening commute. It all stopped and everybody was home and we had a lot of time on our hands. And that was kind of nice. Um, but people are not jumping right back into everything that they used to do. And you're experiencing this in some of your ministry areas. I've heard of churches that they would like to open more in-person worship services, but they don't have the people available to participate in children's ministry because they haven't come back. So you see, people will be reluctant to fill their lives back up again. So just because it's in the bulletin doesn't mean that they're going to show up at your church. So we need to offer the things that people are interested in doing and maybe get do away with some of the things we used to do that people are not so interested in or that maybe should have gone away already. You know what those things are. I'm not going to spell them out to you. Some people have been separated for a very long time and they are ready to get back together. There's some of them are already getting back together. Some of them aren't sure about getting back together, but they are ready to regather in a lot of ways. It may be that they're not ready to regather on Sunday, but some of the people that are watching online would be interested in gathering in an in-person small group that they're okay with a smaller number of people. They're just not okay with a larger number of people or, and this is a hard thing to say. If the in-person service is not a community experience where the people, if the people that you're gathered with are not meaningful to you, then people most likely will meet online if they don't have those connections in the worship service per se. So they'll just watch online. If it's just a matter of programming, it's easier to stay home. But they will gather in groups because groups are built on relationship. And so they'll come to groups for the relationship. I was just talking to a small group leader last night. They're experiencing exa exactly this. Their group when they meet is 14, 16 people and they eat and they have a wonderful time. It's such a great group. I wish I could join their group. Um, but a, a number of their members are still worshiping online at home on Sunday. But they're coming and meeting with the group because that's meaningful to them. In person or online, people are ready to meet. There are some people that will meet in person because they do want the hugs. They do want the relationship and the connection. Some people meet online because, well... They they don't uh, they don't live in your neck of the woods. Um, they live in another part of the country or another continent even, and so you know they'll participate in a group online because they can't participate in a group in person at your church. But some of them will also form an in person group with people that they know in their community. Some people that worship in person 
We'll do an online group because of the convenience of the online group. Families with young children, if you could put your kids to bed and then you could go on Zoom and meet with your group, that's a lot better than hauling your kids over to somebody else's house and then they're up late and it's a school night and you get home and you're trying to deal with them. You know, it's easier just to put them to bed and then meet. Um, and some people have found that to be true. Online groups are not the same as in-person groups. They're just not. It's two-dimensional. It's not three, you know, it's not three-dimensional. Um, it's different. And so I think we need to recognize that it is different. It's not necessarily bad, though. Different does not mean bad. Different just means different. So when we try to do online groups, don't, don't do them the same way that you would do an in-person group. Um, you can do a lot of different things. There's a lot of innovation that's out there, but don't try to say, oh, well, you could join in person and online and it's the same experience because it certainly is not, but not everyone's ready to meet in person. And some online groups can't meet offline because people moved away. Some people will worship online and meet for an in-person group. So Again, it's crowd size. They don't want to be with the big crowd or they don't really have the connections on Sunday morning wherever they sit in the auditorium. So they'll just watch online, but then they'll meet in person for their group. And uh, so expect a lot of this kind of, you know, hybrid behavior, if you will, uh, because this is part of the world that we're living in now. Online and in person is here to stay. And that's an important thing. Because online and in-person are not the same experience, but they should be an equivalent experience. We should expect the same things of our online congregation that we expect in our in-person congregation. And we should treat them the same because we are responsible to disciple our online followers. So let's talk about who is Alan White. Finally, I get to that. If you're watching this thing, you're like, who is this guy? Well, I am uh, married to Tiffany. We've been married for uh, 20, 21 years and we have four children. Um, Sam is 20. Uh, Timothy is 16. Julia is 14. And Jesse in the middle with his Kansas City Chiefs shirt is eight because eight is great in our family. All right. Um, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I've served three congregations in uh, various ways, two in-person on-site, one long distance this last year, uh, which has been kind of fun. And uh, I'm the author of a, a number of books, and you probably have seen them out there. And I've coached over 1,500 churches in the last um, 17, 18 years, which has been a lot of fun to play in everybody else's sandbox. But it's been a wonderful learning laboratory. Even in the last two years, the 100 or so churches that I've partnered with um, it's been interesting learning from them as well as serving in the church myself and kind of learning how do you navigate <clears throat> small group ministry in this new normal, right? Now let's go back to this. After the Spanish influenza in 1918 and 1919 came the roaring 20s. How about that? Warm weather and low COVID numbers will mean that people are going to be gone. So as soon as the weather warms up, if the COVID numbers stay low, people are going to take off and they're going to travel. And if you're planning spring, summer vacation and uh, you haven't booked your Airbnb yet, well, good luck finding one. And the price has gone way up because it's becoming very, very popular right now. What does this mean for small groups? Well, the why and the who 
of groups is the same. You see, once people are done traveling and doing all of that, then they're going to come back and they're going to want to be in a group and they're going to want to gather. Because the other thing we found in the Roaring Twenties was once they got out of the pandemic, there was no mention of the Spanish influenza. People didn't talk about it. People didn't write about it. People didn't think about it. They were ready to put it behind them. So when we apply this to groups, hopefully the same thing is going to be true, depending on how things go. But in all of this, the why and the who are the same. See, your mission is the same. The mission is still the Great Commission. Your church doesn't need to go on a three-day retreat up in the mountains to figure out what your mission is because the mission is the Great Commission. Okay, there you go. If you want to go on a retreat and have fun, just go do it. But this is your mission, to go and make disciples. So that is the same, but the how and the what have changed. The how and the what have changed. Some of what we were doing before is going to work now, but some of what we were doing before is not going to work for everybody and so how do we offer a variety of things to people so that we're able to make disciples of all of our people? See, this isn't the first time that things have dramatically changed. You see, Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. The fulfillment of Acts 1.8 is found in Acts 8.1. In Acts 8.1, it tells us that great persecution came against the church in Jerusalem and the church scattered where? To Judea and Samaria. Acts 8.1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. The church was still in Jerusalem, but Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what motivated the church in Jerusalem to go to Judea and Samaria? Persecution. They were forced to go. Have you ever been forced to go somewhere? That God wanted to move you, but you wouldn't move, so you got fired? And then you moved? Right? So, uh, what's happened to us is not an accident. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves, instead of, you know, what the government or what the CDC or what anybody else has done to us, we need to ask, why has God allowed this? And what was God's purpose in the pandemic? And why did he forcibly move the church to a place where they hadn't been before? This is what happened in Acts. This is what's happened in the last two years. So what is it that, how, how did God use this situation to change the church to be effective in our culture? We're not going back to the good old days. I'm sorry to tell you that. But we're moving forward. We're going forward. So do you feel displaced right now? Why has God allowed this? But let's also ask ourselves, what does this make possible? What does this make possible? How has God forcibly moved your church for his purpose? Well, we lost a lot of people. I understand that. Every church has lost a lot of people. Just in a recent conversation with Bill Willits at North Point, North Point is at 50% 
of their normal attendance. But how has God forcibly moved your church for his purpose? Why is it that things have been realigned? Why is it that so many people left? But don't worry so much about the people that left. Focus on the people who stayed, the people who are with you, the people that are for you, the people that are ready to fulfill the mission with you, the people that are still giving, the people that are serving, the people who are faithful. That if your church has been winnowed down to the size of Gideon's army, well, Just look at your Bible and see what Gideon's army accomplished, right? Sometimes the most effective motivation for change is not having a choice. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm just a little hard-headed, but that's sometimes how uh, change is, my motivation for change has been in my life. How have the last two years left you with no choice? How have they left you with no choice? So let's go back and look at the why and the who of groups. And let's start with the basic. What is small groups? You know, Peter Drucker's classic questions were, number one, what business are you in? And number two, how's business? So we're going to ask this question and we're going to start with, what is a small group in your church? So how big is a small group? Now, when I was taking a class in seminary, they said a small group is three to 30 people. And I thought, oh my goodness. Three is too small and 30 is too big. How is a small group three to 30 people? I thought, well, Jesus had 12. You know, maybe we should have 12 like Jesus had 12. And then Mike Breen told us that, um, you know, you aren't Jesus, so maybe go with six or eight. But how big is a small group in your church? And I've kind of gone back to, honestly, that a group is three to 30. Now, if a group is on the larger end of things, I want that group to subgroup. But how big is a group in your church? And ask, answer that question for yourself. How often does the group meet? Does the group meet weekly? Does the group meet every other week? Does the group meet once a month? Does the group meet once in a while? Because the frequency of meeting is important because so much of what a group does is partly curriculum, but also based on the relationships in the group. And if you're only meeting once in a while or once a month, um, that meeting is probably more like a small group placebo. You think you're in a group, but you're not in a group. Whereas meeting at least every other week or preferably once a week, um, you, you form deeper relationships. How long are the group meetings? How long do they meet? How long does the group stay together? Because if they're only meeting for a semester, then your relationships are going to stay shallow. But if they're meeting for longer term, then you know you can deepen those relationships. Where does the group meet? Does it meet on campus? Does it meet off campus? Does it meet online? And then what is the group's purpose? This is an important question. What is the group's purpose? Because by defining a group, you're stating what also stating what a group is not. So if you say a group is for the purpose of care and growth and serving. And then somebody says, hey, I want to do a group where, you know, people get together and play dominoes. And then you say, well, is there an element of care? Is there an element of growth? Is there an element of serving in that? No, we just want to get together and have fun. Well, then that isn't a group. Or people say, well, we want to get into a deep Bible study. And by deep Bible study, that means somebody wants to stand up and lecture everybody for an hour. Well, is there a care? No. Is there growth? A little bit, but no discussion. Is there serving? No. Well, maybe that's not a group in your church either, but maybe it could be. 
Some meetings might qualify as groups. So once you define what a group is by the criteria that I just gave you, then you need to go back and look at all of the groups that meet in your church. So could a Sunday school class be a group? Maybe, if it has all of the elements of what you define as a group. Could Bible studies be a group? Could task groups be a group? Could mission teams be a group? Maybe they just need, you know, if they're doing care and, and grow and serve, then um, the ones that are serving, if they can implement care and grow, then maybe we can call them a group. And my point is that people won't leave these groups to join a small group. And they shouldn't. If that's where their relationships are, if that's where they're growing, if that's where their connections are, then just add the pieces that are missing and make that a full group. Because otherwise, if you say, well, I'm going over here to serve and I'm going over here for fellowship, I'm going over here for study, and then I'm coming to a weekend worship service, that's a big obligation. So if we can figure out how to make groups within other ministries of the church and then take the people on the weekend and then you know connect them into groups, then I think we can get a lot further, a lot faster. So what is the purpose of groups at your church? And this is what I want you to think about today and begin to define for yourself so you know what is a group and what's not a group. And then you know what you have to work with and you know what your goal should be. So is the purpose assimilation or connection? You're trying to close the back door? Okay, that's a legitimate purpose. Maybe your purpose is discipleship or leadership development or teamwork. Maybe your purpose is outreach or evangelism. All of these are good purposes for a group, and it's not a matter of one's right and one's wrong. It's a matter of which purpose is the purpose of groups for your church. Here's the big one. What is your senior pastor's purpose for groups? What is your senior pastor's purpose for groups? Because sometimes the people that sit in the discipleship pastor role well, they want to make disciples. They want everybody to grow spiritually, right? But sometimes the pastor is wanting to reach the community, and that's his purpose for groups. Sometimes the pastor wants to close the back door and use groups for assimilation. Well, here's a secret. You can start with the pastor's purpose, and you can lead it to your purpose. So let's say the pastor says, I want groups for assimilation. But you say, I want groups for discipleship. So... Do some things to get people in groups, to help them be better connected to the church in person and online. And then in that, as you recommend curriculum, as you write curriculum, as you train your leaders, then you introduce all the elements of discipleship. You don't have to fight against your pastor on that. You can start with where the pastor wants to go. Okay, we're going to do groups for evangelism. We're going to do groups for assimilation. But in that, we're going to make disciples. And your pastor is not going to be opposed to that. Does your purpose align with your pastor's purpose? Well, it doesn't have to be identical, but it has to align. Because the pastor, your senior pastor, is the leader of your church. Your lead pastor, your senior minister, whatever you call them. They are the leader of your church, and you need to follow your leader's lead. Let's talk about some emerging trends that are coming up for groups. Everybody's interested in this. What's the future? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have the experience in the last, you know, over 20 months of working with over 100 churches. So let me give you some of that. People are stingier with their time these days. People are stingier with their time and they're just not going to take time to do whatever because uh, they cleared the deck of everything during the pandemic. And now they're being very careful about what to invest in. 
So invite them to something that matters. Invite them to something that's meaningful to them. Gather People are going to gather with the people that they choose. They don't necessarily want to gather with a group of strangers. They want to gather with the people that they choose. There are people in their life that, you know, over the last couple of years, they haven't spent the amount of time with them that they would like to. So now that they have an opportunity to meet again, they want to gather with the people that they want to gather with. Now, there are some exceptions. If people are new to your church, they're new to the community, they're new online, well, you know, it's it's going to make a difference because um, they don't know anybody. So they're going to choose to gather with, make new friends, uh, but a lot of people are going to choose to gather with people that they already know, that they already like, and uh, go about it that way. They want to gather in a way that they're comfortable. They want to gather in a way that they're comfortable. And that may be on campus, that may be in a home, that may be in a coffee shop, that may be online. And online doesn't 100% mean Zoom. It could mean Slack or Facebook or Discord or you know whatever else. There are a lot of ways to meet online. But they want to gather in a way that they are comfortable. So you just need to give them permission and opportunity and they will figure it out. They're also going to look at smaller, small groups smaller, small groups. The church I'm working with right now is their life group pastor. Uh, our average group is eight and a half. And uh, I didn't say eight. I didn't say nine because it did come out at 8.5. And I joked with the leaders. I said, so the average group is eight and a half. And I, I tongue in cheek, I said, and, and you know, you know who the half is in your group, right? But they're going to be smaller, small groups. They're not, some, there are going to be exceptions. But they're going to be smaller for a large part. And maybe it's eight and a half. Maybe it's four or five. But it doesn't have to be 12. It doesn't have to be 16. It doesn't have to be 30. For online groups, your online group wants to be a, needs to be about as big as the Brady Bunch. If you're meeting on Zoom or another online video service, online group, it's about as big as the Brady Bunch. And that works. I do coaching groups with pastors. And I have eight churches plus me. And so that means that I'm Alice right there in the middle and all the other pastors are gathered there and eight is great for online groups. For an in-person group, well, people want, you know, they're going to choose people they want to spend time with. So we need to give them some flexibility to be able to gather their friends and to do a study together. All of the groups need a mission to fulfill. Because like I said, people are stingier with their time. They've divested themselves in a lot of things. They're not just going to do things because we offered it. So we need to be careful that we make sure that the things that we are offering are meaningful and are on mission because people will jump into something that's going to accomplish a purpose, that's going to meet a need in the community, that's going to actually help other people as well as to help them to grow. But people aren't going to do activity just for the sake of activity. People want to invest their time in what matters to them. Well, how do we know what matters to them? Well, here's a secret. Ask them. Ask them what's meaningful to them. Ask them what they're passionate about. Ask them what's important to them. And then begin to offer things around what your congregation is passionate about. Because now all of us have fewer people than we used to. So the idea of sitting down and talking to groups of people or even to individuals doesn't seem so impossible because it's not the sheer volume of people that we used to have. Ask them. You can ask them on a survey. The easiest and most effective way to get people into groups is going to be tomorrow's topic. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you tomorrow.
In tomorrow's episode, we're going to explore the number one key element of success for your small groups, senior pastor buy-in. You need your senior pastor to lead the charge. Whether your senior pastor is just a little interested in groups or not interested at all, listen in tomorrow for part two. Now, don't worry. In February, the Exponential Groups podcast will return to its regular format with a very special guest, Heather Zimple from National Community Church. Now, watch, look for part two of the small group restart tomorrow. We'll see you then.